Welcome back to Straight Up No Chasers, some hardcore truths about alcoholism, addiction, and recovery. Uh, the last episode, we talked about atheist, agnostic, and God. How does the atheist and the agnostic come into a relationship with God? Uh, Bill Wilson wrote a fantastic essay on this with the chapter We Agnostics in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. He recognized that even if the alcoholic had a relationship with God, their agnostic tendencies tend to ease God out and it proved ineffective at alleviating them of their obsession for alcohol. Dr. Bob, he was a member of the Oxford group for a number of years before Bill W. came along. And he was a very devout Christian. Uh, he practiced the Oxford group program, and yet he drank. And Bill was a stockbroker from New York who had a spiritual experience prior to meeting Dr. Bob six months prior, uh, uh, after he had this spiritual experience. And it was Bill who effectively carried a spiritual message to Bob explaining to him that he already knew the tools. He didn't know how to utilize the tools against this double-edged sword of obsession and, and craving. So Bill talked to Bob for five hours and convinced him of the need to focus his efforts on the program of the Oxford Group, especially in the areas of self-sacrifice, unselfish, constructive action. Uh, this was in line with what a movement that was very big at that time in the world. It was called the New Thought Religion, uh, Emmett Fox, Ernest Holmes, uh, they were two of the main uh, uh, characters who pushed this, and they believed that love and forgiveness were the transformative powers that people needed to change their life. And this is something the Oxford Group as well took advantage of. So when Bill wrote the chapter, We Agnostic, it wasn't just for atheists and agnostics. You can be a religious agnostic. You can have all the knowledge of God you want. But as with alcohol, self-knowledge availed us nothing. So he clarified a few things for those of us who were agnostically and atheistly inclined. But at the same time, it benefited those of the religious persuasion. One of the most effective paragraphs he wrote said, much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and to effect a contact with him. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction provided we took other simple steps. 
we found God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. To us, the realm of spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is open, we believe, to all men. So what he is saying here is that we had an idea of God that we got from someone else. And we could cast that aside if that was necessary for us to affect a new relationship with God. And basically, it is necessary. But if you're religious, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but you reconsider some of the propositions you've been holding. You bring them to the light of truth. And, and in that truth, you'll find God. And that will transform your beliefs about uh, uh, your religion. So it's telling us that um, we don't have to be right. How, however we come to terms with this God idea is sufficient. It, it could be inadequate in the eyes of others, but it only needs to work for us. It, it's just like uh, the lie we tell us about alcohol. It won't make sense to anyone else why we take that next drink. It only needs to make sense to us. So this is about a very personal relationship with God on very simple terms. God as you understand God. Bill in, in the big book uses 29 different descriptions of God, hoping that the agnostic, the atheist, something will light that spark that light in them and they can see a path forward. But the basic idea is what Abby brought to him, a God of your own conception. So when I came to AA, even though I'd had a spiritual experience, I didn't know what exactly had happened to me. And I didn't want to tell anyone that these experiences had occurred because I wasn't too sure of my sanity. So an old timer cornered me one time and asked me, well, Jerry, what do you, what exactly do you believe about God? And my response was, he is sending me to hell. I had a mother who uh, uh, repeatedly told me that every day. You know, your dad is the devil. You're just like him. You're going to hell. So as you can guess, I didn't have too positive a, a, an impression of God in my life coming up. My mother gave me her impression, which God was a pit bull that she would sick on me. You know, God don't like ugly. So she, that, that's what God was to me. And even though I had a Christian upbringing, I tended to focus on the negative because I was doing things that I should not have been doing. And I knew I shouldn't be doing them. And this judgmental God of my mother convinced me I was going to hell. So when I told the old timer that, that God was sending me to hell, his response was this, good. And, and I was kind of offended by that. I said, wait a minute, you don't know me that well. He said, no, you believe there is a God and it is not you. We can work with you. Even if you didn't believe a God, but you were willing to believe, we could work with you. But if you believe that there was no power greater than you, then you are on your own against the power greater than you, and that's alcohol. So that sort of opened my mind a little bit more 
with every meeting I went to, my mind opened a little bit more, a little bit more as I heard people talking about this relationship they had with God. Um, one time I was in a meeting and they were talking about a sponsor. They're talking about what is a sponsor? And, and, and what I heard was a sponsor is someone who believes in you, who loves you unconditionally, who accepts you unconditionally, never judges you, is always in your corner, is always pulling for you, and want only the best for you. And I thought to myself, that's what I want God to be. And so I went home that night and I said this prayer. God, you know I don't trust another human, human being on the face of this earth, not even my mother. So you have to be my sponsor. As I crawled in bed after saying that prayer, I thought, him say, thought I heard him say, okay. And following that, you know, uh, miraculous things followed. I had a different perception of the world and, and a different perception of God. He was my sponsor. And even today, when I sponsor men and women in recovery, I explain to them that I am their temporary sponsor. I will put them in touch with their real sponsor in step 11. And in that step, they will work out the rest of their life. And instead of me managing, fixing, and controlling their life, they take their problems to God. It sounds strange to most, but when you consider Dr. Bobby sponsored 5,000 people, what did he do to advise 5,000 people? Well, he turned them over to God. He didn't manage his own life. So what would it look like him managing the lives of 5,000 alcoholics? I don't manage my life. God manages my life. I'll teach you how to surrender to let God manage your life. So it's really a very simple and practical approach. Bill went on to write, when therefore we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. This applies too to other spiritual expressions which you find in this book. Do not let any prejudice you may have here against spiritual terms deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. And that sort of knocked down the wall between me and religion. I could express what scripture meant to me, what everything meant to me. And what they're saying is, what Bill is saying here, there is no wrong answer. It is what you believe, and God has given you the right to that. So he goes on to say, at the start, this was all we needed to commence spiritual growth, to affect first conscious relation with God as we understood him. Now, when we get to step 11, it says, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. Where did it start? Right here. Right here in step two, when we came to a conception of God that would work for us. So that's where we start. But when we go through this spiritual process, we end up in a very different place. Um, in step five, it tells us the fifth step promises our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator.
we may have had spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. So that experience replaces our beliefs. And once we have a spiritual experience, conscious contact with God, there's very little need to be right or wrong about scripture or anything else of a religious nature or anything else for that matter, even secular matters. We have experienced God, we have contacted God, and now we've entered into a relationship with him. So it tells us that after we found ourselves accepting many things which then seemed entirely out of reach, that was growth, that we if, but if we wished to grow, we had to begin somewhere. So we used our own conception, however limited it was. We start where we're at. Wherever you're at with God, that's where you start. You don't have to believe anything, but you do have to accept this. Faith without works is dead. If, if we don't do the work required of us to address our spiritual malady, we drink again. For the alcoholic to drink is to die. So faith without works is, as a friend of mine put it, is nothing more than a deadly belief. We, we can believe in God, but if we don't do the work that's prescribed in the steps, then we die. It's really just that simple. So the founders, they are proof that this program worked. Half of them were atheists. Half of them were religious. It didn't matter. They all came to this conclusion. We needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? As soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he is on his way. It has been proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderful, wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. So they were the guinea pigs. They were spiritual guinea pigs. They were the most desperate cases of alcoholism. They knew they were going to die. Back then, there was no solution. Once you found out you were an alcoholic, your best hope was that you spend the rest of your life in an insane asylum. You knew you were going to die because you saw friends die. You saw relatives die. You knew of people who died of alcoholism and you knew this. There wasn't any other solution. There was no other no solution. So when AA presented this spiritual solution to you back then you, you didn't have all these other options like smart recovery and uh, 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 the Malibu program and, and God knows whatever else is out there. You followed this spiritual program of psychotherapy. And you were, it was explained to you that the problem was spiritual in nature. That it was about our relationship with God, whether we're atheist, agnostic, or religious. We had to address it at its root. Carl Jung, he expressed that alcoholics had a low-level spiritual experience whenever they took a drink. Now, this is far different from the average temperate drinker. This is why alcohol becomes our God. It brought about a rearrangement of ideas, emotions, and attitudes that brought us to a self-centered perspective on life that our drinking was the most important thing to us, even at the cost of breath, our next breath. 
we would take that drink. So we had to have a spiritual experience that took us the other direction. And, and that is an spiritual experience we have with God. So understanding the problem as spiritual in nature will set us on course for the proper solution. But one of my favorite uh, quotes is by Mark Twain, who said that when a man carries a cat by the tail, he learns something he could learn no other way. And today, you have to carry, many alcoholics have to carry the cat by the tail. Uh, it, it's necessary to survive the fellowship that has lost its way. Uh, the fellowship has become more secular in nature. Today, we have within Alcoholics Anonymous agnostic groups. We agnostics who, who don't think God has anything to do with them being sober. Uh, they're honest about it. There are many NAA who have the same opinion, who have the same agnostic temperament, but these alcoholics are honest. And I know of two members who started the We Agnostic group here in uh, uh, Indiana, and uh, both of them got drunk. You know, and they, they had years of sobriety when they started this group. They thought it was wonderful, and they could fully rely upon the fellowship to keep them sober. So today, that is what is, I mean by survive the fellowship that will present itself as a solution. Uh, when you go to treatment, they tell you, Go to meetings. Do 90 meetings in 90 days. They tell us that meeting makers make it. And the misconception is that mere attendance at meetings will keep you sober. And natural, naturally, alcoholics seek the easier, softer way, and that is what they do. They go to meetings hoping to stay sober on the fellowship, and they get drunk. So... Meeting makers is not a, that is sort of an AA slogan of sense. Meeting makers make it, but there's something to that. It's not a statement on attendance at meetings. It is a statement on service. The trusted servants who make meetings happen, they are the meeting makers. The alcoholics who have a spiritual experience and carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous to the meetings, they make it a happening meeting. There's a solution that's being passed on. So it's about the steps and traditions, not about attendance. Uh, another thing we hear is remember your last drunk, as if that will keep you sober. But you have to understand that certain times we have no effective mental defense against the first drink. And, and, and so if you pursue these secular solutions, you get drunk. And for the alcoholic to drink is to die. Uh, we hear, I choose not to drink today. Or, or, or in another fellowship, I choose not to use. You know, yeah, that rhymes. But uh, no, the great fact is just this and nothing less. We've lost the power of choice when it comes to drink, when it comes to drugs. We have no choice. Sometimes we're going to autopilot and drink. Sometimes we'll fight it very hard and we drink. That is what it means to be powerless. We have lost the power of choice in drink. Our strongest desire to not drink is overwhelmed by an obsession to drink. And we hear, think your way through the drink. 
But it tells us that at certain times, we cannot recall with sufficient force the pain, the suffering, humiliation of the last drink. That which brought us to AA. The pain, the suffering, humiliation goes into our temporary memory and fades away. The, 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 the pleasure we receive from, from alcohol is lodged in our permanent memory, and we can always recall the good times. And when we start recalling the good times, we're off to repeat them, except it's not there anymore. The script is flipped, and alcohol does nothing but bring on terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair, comprehensible demoralization. Uh, another secular solution that is often tossed about is don't drink even if your ass falls off. See, if, if you're misguided about what the problem is, these things will sound attractive to you. You'll go repeating them in meetings and, and telling other alcoholics this is the solution. It's just a matter of willpower. But self-will avails us nothing. Self-knowledge avails us nothing when we're up against this juggernaut of alcoholism, which is a power greater than ourselves. Uh, it tells that we hear also this is a selfish program. Now, that's one of the trickier things to flesh out. Uh, the big book tells us we must be rid of this selfishness or it kills us. The root of our problem, selfishness, self-centeredness. When we're selfish, self-centered, we're a God unto ourselves. No power can get within that little circle we've drawn. We are the king of our little fiefdom. The problem is there's another king in there, King Alcohol. And as long as we live in this self-centered environment, a drink will appear attractive to us. We'll create situations that makes a drink attractive. We'll step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate seemingly without provocation. To us, it seems like the world is out to get us. We're just minding our own business. And then we get attacked. But the truth is that somewhere in the past, we made decisions based on our selfishness that put us in a position to be hurt. And when we are hurt, we try to soothe it with a drink. So it's at the root of our motives, of the actions we take, that we de will determine if we're successful or not. A life run on self-will can hardly be a success. What are we trying to be successful at? Sobriety. We cannot deliver this on our own. We can't cure our own sick thinking with our own sick thinking. God could and would if he were sought. So it tells us the three pertinent ideas we have to adopt, those that we're alcoholic and cannot manage our own life, that probably no human power can relieve us of our alcoholism, that God could and would if he were sought. Well, what do we do? Well, we have a spiritual program, a psychotherapy that transforms our mind from an alcoholic mind to something close to a temperate mind. The problem, the obsession will be removed and the quality of our life improves as we continue to live a life on spiritual principles. So 
this is very important to understand the nature of the problem is spiritual. Um, the Latin phrase for alcohol is spiritus, meaning breath of life. The Arabic word for alcohol is akul, from which the English derivative of ghoul comes from. A ghoul is a flesh-eating spirit. And that's exactly what alcohol is. It's a great dissolver. It dissolves relationships, careers, life itself. Uh, the flesh that it eats is the liver and pancreas that is responsible for processing alcohol properly. And once it deteriorates those two organs, that's when alcoholism sets in. So looking at that and, and, and looking at what Carl Jung said, you can see where just secular solutions being offered up against this spiritual malady proved totally insufficient. We must have the help of a higher power. God has always already given us that help. It's been proven to work for over 80 years. It's responsible for millions of recoveries. However, we have an alcoholic mind that constantly seeks the easier, softer way. And in the fellowship, there are, are many easier, softer, secular solutions being offered up as treatment for this fatal malady. In treatment, it is the same thing. They can't or won't talk about the spiritual nature of alcoholism and addiction. So therefore, it is upon AA to continue to carry its message, continue to offer the spiritual solution, and to break down the walls of doubt that exist in the mind of the agnostic and the atheist by emphasizing that the bar isn't so high. It's all about willingness to believe in a power greater than yourself, a conception of God that you can work with. So it's been proven that that is a starting point and where you end up is a fourth dimension of existence where you find much of heaven and life gets infinitely more wonderful as time passes. I had a sponsor ask me, what is the fourth dimension? I said, well, we exist in, the three, dim in three dimensions. The fourth dimension is the spiritual dimension. And that is where we find our salvation is in that dimension where we have a relationship with a God based on our own understanding. And from that understanding comes the peace we once sought in the drink. So straight up, no chaser. That, that is part two of atheist, agnostic, and God. It's, it's not difficult. We have a solution. It's been proven to work. Trust me, you're not going to like it. But you don't have to like it for it to work. My sponsor always framed it like this. You do not have to do it. You can always go drink. And that is why it is essential that an alcoholic be more afraid of alcohol than we are of God because we are going to balk. But as soon as we can find the key of willingness, we open up the door and we have found we have actually begin, been given the keys to the kingdom. So this is another episode of Straight Up No Chaser. 
Um, ask that you just have an open mind and consider these things. And most of all, find yourself a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. No matter your affliction, be it a, a, an addiction to a hardcore drug or alcohol or an addiction to sick people. At the root is a spiritual malady where you're trying to use some external uh, source to um, address this spiritual malady. But there's one who has all power, and that one is God. May you find him now.